This is what it says in Matthew 9, 35 through 38. This is the word of the Lord. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As always, when we read scripture, I invite you to pray. It's a simple prayer. Just say, God, would you just speak through your word to my soul today what he wants you to know and wants you to apply to your life, and then I'll pray for us collectively. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. It is the source of all truth and understanding. Pray that we would glean from it today, that we, by your spirit, by the power of the spirit, would guide us towards that truth. Father, we would put aside any distractions in our thoughts and any even presuppositions we come to Scripture with. In a text like this, where we might think we have it all figured out, that this is not just a text about the church needing more volunteers. This is about a people of God going out into the world to be on mission to share the gospel. Father, help us in that. I pray that you would challenge, encourage, guide, convict our hearts towards that, that would be people that would answer your call to go and share the good news of the gospel. Father, may you be glorified and and may you be honored as we look to your word now. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. So by way of recap, just bring you up to speed here. Um, Like I said, the last three weeks we've been looking at this uh, idea of what the church is in week one. We kind of deconstructed ideas. We looked at Acts 2 about the people of God and how they gathered the early church. Always said that you don't want to romanticize the early church, like have to look exactly like them, but we glean how they met together, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and fellowship. They broke bread in homes. They were a people connected and had unity around the gospel. And then the next week, we looked at membership in the body, challenging those in the church to greater commitment into the body of Christ. And sometimes we're pretty choosy with how connected or committed we are to a church, kind of on our terms. And we looked at the commitment of of somebody who is a part of a church and how they're committed to serving one another in the body and also being led by elders in the relationship between shepherds and congregants. And um, I said this, that maybe God's plan is more about um, more about more than your individual holiness, perhaps. It's about pouring your life into someone else in a committed fashion, those who are weaker in faith, and, and will, that they would be strengthened, God will be glorified. So as much as Kathy just challenged women in the church to, to commit yourselves to other relationships, that maybe you need encouragement at times, but maybe you can be encouraging to others. And then last week, we talked about forgiveness. It's not an option. It's not one of those optional commands in Scripture Forgiveness is a command. We're challenged numerous times, and it displays the gospel. Forgive as God in Christ forgave you. And so we were challenged with that, and a lot of feedback on that. And I, and I had good feedback in that because it's really relevant to our lives and relationship. And so I'm praying for you, and I've prayed for you this past week, because maybe you've had to go and have hard conversations and um, good conversations with those that you need to forgive or need to forgive you. 
And so that will hurt your heart if you don't deal with that. So if you didn't, uh, if you weren't here last week, that would be something not because I was preaching it, but because God's word was saying it, that would be something that you'd want to look at um, and follow up on our website with. And then this week, I want to just unpack missions, specifically what we are called to do when we leave our gatherings. Weeks and months ago, uh, as I said, you know, I always used to say go in peace and and we kind of changed the way we thought about that. And I still challenge us to go in peace, but to send, to be sent out, to say we are sent. As a reminder that as a people of God, we come together, but then we are sent out into the world. Wherever that is for you in whatever capacity, career, or otherwise, we are sent to be agents of the gospel, living out the gospel, as Fiona read from Philippians And so this week, we want to talk about mission specifically as we have looked at our text. And I talked about this in Sunday school, the adult Sunday school this morning. The the church buzz, the lingo lingo of the uh, evangelistic culture now in churches is that you want to be mission-minded churches. And that's great, but I do think there is some confusion around that in the church. You know, if you visit a church uh, much like this one, you'll you'll go in and you kind of determine whether they're mission-minded, whether their emphasis is on missions. And often what that means is whether their emphasis is on like, like mission trips and evangelistic outreaches or if they're very involved in their community. And you have to be careful. As I said this morning, for those of you that weren't here, we are called to be salt and light, but you have to be careful that the social gospel movement doesn't creep into that and that we start operating just by tangible physical needs in the church. The church of Jesus Christ can meet a lot of physical needs in their communities. We can provide in a lot of different ways. But as true missionaries, we want to go out with the gospel and show and point people, not just show them, but speak about their need for Jesus, sharing with them. Now that comes in various formats. If you have experience with, you can even walk down at times in Madison on State Street and and you can see somebody with a small PA system standing on a soapbox turn and burn. Kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. Now, we would mostly say that's probably not the best way with the best message in that city, although the content of the gospel is necessary, that people do need to turn from sin, that there is a Savior. Now, that's not personal and relatable and often viewed as preachy and whatnot, but we are called to go with the message of the gospel, and that is a true mission-minded church. The focus is on the good news proclaimed. I would even say this, that the church needs, I said this this morning, the church can, the most important thing the church can do for the world is not anything the church can do for the world. We can't die for the world like Jesus did. Can't heal the nations or usher in the kingdom of God, but we have to proclaim the one who did and point to Jesus. The very fact that all scripture centers on the person and work of Christ helps us to see precisely what our mission is to point to Christ. And we point to him, yes, with our deeds, but I would say this, our deeds are mute often, which means we have to point with him centrally with our words. This is why Jesus said he primarily came to preach. And you need to know that for the context of Matthew 9. He came primarily to preach, not to heal, although he healed, and not to deliver from people struggling with demons, and he did do that. But he came primarily to preach, John the Baptist kind of ushered the way for those who were going to hear the message of the gospel through his words, the need for repentance and belief. And so in verse 35 of our text, as we come to Matthew, in this popular, I'm sure many of you have heard this, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But what is the context that leads up to that in the ministry of Jesus? 
He's going around, you have to understand, he's going around all these towns and he's healing, but he's always preaching about the kingdom of heaven and ministry towards the sinner. Matthew's own calling references this, written prior to this, sinners and tax collectors, Jesus' meeting. Look at verse 9. It's going to be on the screen earlier if you have your Bible open. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew. This is Matthew's gospel, writing this by the Spirit, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew's own calling was based on response to Jesus saying, you need help as a sinner. And when Jesus called out his disciples, we know that he just said, follow me. But it was this new way of life, this need that was deep in his soul to, to necessary, like, I need him to save me. I need him. And so Matthew's own calling was one of which, and then he went and gathered his friends, which there's a bunch of sinners and tax collectors. You can make up who's sitting in the room with Jesus, like all kinds of sin displayed there, and tax collection was not a popular thing. Those people were greedy and hoarders and and opposed to others. And so here's this population Jesus sits with, and those are the ones that he's calling. And he says, I, I'm not here for all the people who are self-righteous, who are religious, who think they have it all figured out. I'm, the, I'm here to call those to salvation, those who are in desperate need. And so he calls Matthew to that hope, that gospel hope. You see, the goal is not a holy huddle when we come together on Sunday mornings and stay together. The goal is to worship for what God has done in the gospel, but that when we leave, when we depart our Sunday gathering, that we can go out and take the gospel, this hope, into all our areas and spheres. Now, not everyone is supposed to be in vocational ministry. We need people in every society of life. We need, like, factory workers who know Jesus to share Christ with those who they serve with on the line. We need police officers and ambulance drivers and doctors and physicians and, and clerical workers and janitors and bus drivers and every facet of life to be people who take the gospel into their spheres. We need Christians, Christ followers, deeply committed to the Bible and truth in schools, in public schools, teaching truth and teaching academics at the same time. We need people to take the gospel out. And so when we come together Sunday morning, it is to infuse life and worship and hope together as a people to remind ourselves what Christ has done for us. And then we leave. And it's not like six days, five days on a job with a weekend. It's like we are missionaries being sent out. And I think the church misses that a lot. I think we like to come together as God's people. And that's good. But that's not why we're called to salvation. We were called to go and speak the gospel, to tell the gospel to the world, to send missionaries out. Eric and Elisa are going to share later about church planting in Madison. We want to support that because we want the gospel to go out into our neighborhoods, our backyards, our state, our country, our world. If you are going to move from me 
to we in terms of living out the gospel, I'm quite sure, and this is where I want to go this morning, you'll have to do these four things that we see from the text and the text written after that. Number one, you'll have to care. And that's something that, that I pray that God stirs your heart towards lost people to actually care. I, don't, I, I know a lot of believers that just think little and pray little for people that don't know Christ. And it, these are people that I think claim Christ, but it just doesn't match with you have to have a heart for the lost. And we see that. The second thing is you have to pray. Christians, myself included at times, we just do not have a good prayer life and specifically praying for lost people. Churches will think of ways to dig into their community, to invest, to witness, to evangelize, to get programs, to plant churches, to send all these things. And, and often is the case, we don't stop and just ask God the best, most important thing we could do. Third thing that you have to receive, training specifically, we'll talk about that. Many in the church say, well, I don't know how to witness because I've never been taught, or I don't know the Bible because I've never been taught. You have to be willing to receive all that's available to you in training. That's what Jesus called his disciples, and he spent three years with them, and they were receiving before he sent them out. And then you have to go. And that doesn't mean go to a third world country and go into full-time ministry. We need people in vocational ministry. I just said that. To go with the gospel into their businesses, into the schools, into every area of life to be Jesus. Not just by deed, but by word. The first one we look at is care in verse 36. Look at the text. <clears throat> when he saw the crowds, Jesus, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We read from Ezekiel 34 in our call to worship that when he saw them, he had compassion on them. He had compassion for lost people. When Jesus saw them, he looked and he said, you have no shepherd. You're just wandering about, opposed and harassed. And the compassion, the Greek word there, this esplanchnite, was, this is what this word means. He was moved in his guts. That's what the translation of that phrase is there in the scripture. He was stirred down deep when he saw lost people in need of a shepherd. He was moved emotionally. This isn't just like, oh man, this is just too bad. There's a lot of people that don't know Jesus. This was like stirring. This is what some have called this, this holy discontent. Like this is not right. They need to know. And friends, we have families we gather with at holidays that don't know Christ, and we just, ah, oh, it's just hard. And I do believe that it's hard to share Christ with your family members, those you know the closest. But do you have a deep compassion when you see people who don't know Christ? Does it move you? You and I know what moves us, and everyone has a different thing that just like stirs them. Some social injustice, some um, you know, harm towards kids or children, or that should always stir us up. But some, sometimes that's different. But when something stirs us, we usually act. And Jesus here has compassion. Let me ask you a question. Do lost people in your neighborhood stir you deep inside like that? Do we even think about it? Neighbors, family members. And let me tell you this. This is really hard to do when you're so focused on yourself. It really is. Dealing with your issues. Well, I'm just in a season of life that I have just a lot going on. So I don't have time. I would challenge that every day of the week. We all have a lot going on. But here's what I've learned, especially in our struggle with Josiah, where I, I constantly, I've said this, self-pity can be a horrible thing. Woe is me. Look at all I'm dealing with. 
Here's what I think God wants us to do in all of that. I think the scriptures tell us to cast all those cares on him because he cares for us, like Jesus says he cares for us, and he deals with those things as we move on mission for him. We are a people, this is why me, church, we're a selfish people. I just can't God right now because I have all this stuff in my life. And I think if we got the scriptures and if we got God's power, the way it operates, he says, don't you know I'll just take all that and I'll work all of that for good and encouragement in your soul when you just go out? That's why Matthew writes this earlier in Matthew 5, 24 through 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will wear, what, what you will put on. That's why he writes that text. Don't be anxious about all that stuff. God cares about that. He cares more about you than you even think. And so friends, when we, we have issues, we have struggle, we read from Philippians, we have opposition, we have persecution, as Fiona said, probably not to the depths right now of being in chains, but even Paul, as he was in chains, wasn't focused on the chains. He was focused on the gospel. Like, look, look what this is doing, that I would suffer for his sake. When he could have sat there chained to a wall, like, oh, just a bad day like a really bad day. Think about that. It is super hard to have a care for lost people when you're so focused on your own needs. And I'm not saying those needs aren't real. I have them just like you have them. But I, I, think, I think I get it most right when we take all that God has given us in our life, instead of complaining and whining and, and being drugged into self-pity with it, we say, you know what? I'm going to let God deal with all this stuff over here, but I'm going to use the platform that he's given me to go and share the gospel with people. The harvest is plentiful. Think about it. All around us, opportunities to share Jesus, to give God glory, to talk about him with others and not ourselves. And I believe that's the distinction of God's people. We can relate one to another and encourage one another in the hard things of life. We can come together as a body and then go out. There are opportunities. The question will come from our prayer. The second one is, or care, the second one is prayer. This is a huge one. Look at verse 37 and 38. In recognizing this, Jesus says, when he has compassion, this is what he challenges his disciples with. Then, based on what he saw, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, here's his answer, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We're called to pray. Why do we not go out and not care? Because we do not pray. Jesus is saying here there's a lot of opportunity. We simply just don't ask for it. The harvest is plentiful. And here's the thing I want you to know. It's also not ours. Did you catch that? It doesn't depend on us. This is not to meant, meant to cause apathy. When Jesus speaks these words, he says, it's meant to cause freedom and obedience. Listen, he's the Lord of the harvest. This doesn't rest on you. All I'm asking you to do is pray and to go. He's saying, this doesn't hinge itself on you. I'll do my mission in the world whether you're disobedient or not. That's freedom. That's not apathy. That's freeing. God doesn't need me. Now, we're so selfishly trained that we think, and many in the church think this, that God needs you. Many do. It's that subtle plague of our selfishness and pride. God needs me to be here right now, today, because who else will speak to these people? God doesn't need us. He uses us by his grace that ought to cause freedom and obedience in us. So that's a big question. How often do you spend praying 
for lost people, just asking God, I think we'd be more amazed in the church if we just spent more time praying for people rather than trying to think of all these clever ways in spinning our wheels to reach them. The third thing is receiving. This goes past the text I read into Matthew 10. And Jesus trains 12 to go out. Matthew 10, 1 through 4, he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out to heal every disease. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon. This is a little test. We're, going to give it late. We're not going to give it later. But many can't name the 12 disciples. Here they are. Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the text collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Did you notice they're in pairs? Jesus had kind of purpose when he sent his disciples out two by two. They're listed that way. No, Judas was the bad one, so he had 11 odd men now. Did you catch that? And these 12, Jesus spent time with and he sent them out. It says there, and I won't read all of that, that he says he wanted them to go out to the Gentiles and find houses of peace and shake the sand, dust off their sandals of those who wouldn't receive. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go. You've spent time with me now. You know the message of the gospel. Now go and speak it to others. Go into towns and villages. It's why we do mentorship and discipleship here and train for missions and want you to be involved in service and have Sunday school opportunities because we want you to receive help and training so you can go out and be more effective in the world, not so you can just be church, play church, be involved for the sake of involvement so that you can grow to take the gospel out, seize those opportunities. Jesus spent time with people and invested in them for purpose. Are you, as a part of Real Hope, doing all that you can to receive all that God wants you to know and learn so that you can go out with the gospel. I encourage you to do so. And then the fourth one is go. After the training, you're sent out to do what God has uniquely called you to do. These men, as I said, were sent out with instruction in that text in Matthew 10 to go out and do what he had called them to do. Go to these towns. Preach the gospel Find houses of peace. Find people of peace that you can talk to. And we think of neighbors and friends who we know if we just shared our heart are more open to the gospel than we give them credit for because God is doing the work. And so often we're like, ah, I can't share this. They think I'm like a Jesus freak. You are a Jesus freak. That's a good thing. That's what you want to be. Let him deal with that. What he is saying here is the harvest is plentiful. It's the workers who are few the people who don't care and pray and who receive and then go. And a lot of what Jesus challenges the disciples with is whether they will fear opposition and persecution or trust, which is why we read from Philippians today, in what he has provided them with, a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Fiona read that in Philippians 1. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you're standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened. Only let your manner be worthy of the gospel. Paul is writing that no matter what happens in life, don't be frightened. Trust in God's promises. Go out with the gospel. And there's little subtle ways that we fear that with our neighbors and friends and family. What will they think? I hope they'll think you love Jesus and he saved you from death. That's what I hope you'll think and that they'll think. And yet we fear 
We fear getting made fun of or isolated at our workplaces because I don't, because I work with all these other nice people who know Jesus, but you don't. I think they're all saved. I'm just seeing if you're alive today, friends. And you fear because, like, I don't want to be the one and I could lose my job. Read Philippians 1 again and then put that through the lens of trusting God a little bit more. And am I suggesting that you go through and try to lose your job? No. But there's a lot of things we fear in this world and hesitate and are, and are less assertive with because the fear of man trumps the fear of God. This is what Paul writes, and I pray that we would get this. Now, as a, a most appropriate way, and it just worked out that they were invited here on this day to serve us in music, but I thought, what a more appropriate way to just hear from Erica or Eric and Elisa on their heart for the gospel. We have been a church that wants to promote the gospel going out into the world. We support church planners. We support missionaries. And so I just want to invite them up to share what they're doing in Madison as they've been called to, out of their deep care for Madison. And you, you just simply don't church plant in Madison. There's a vocal four again. You just simply don't church plant in Madison unless you care about what God is doing in the lives of those people and unless you're going in with a lot of prayer and devotion and commitment to them. Madison is a tough city to plant in, and Eric will tell you about that. So I want to have us hear from them a little bit about how we can be involved in that new work. Yeah, thanks, Craig. Appreciate that. So um, good morning, church. You guys, are, you guys are alive. Yeah, that's great. So, um, yeah, as Pastor Craig said, my name is Eric Duncan. It's my wife, Elisa, here. Um, do you have a picture of our family up there, maybe? Do you guys have that? Hey, there you go. So, you always win points with the pictures of the kids, you know? I mean, come on, right? They're so way cuter than we are. So, yeah. Um, uh, two little boys there, older son, Theo, and our younger son, Jaber, who are with Grandma and Grandpa right now. So, um, so there you go. But yeah, so we uh, are planting Two Lakes Church uh, in downtown in University of Madison, um, it's a little bit of our story. Uh, Lisa and I are both alumni of the University of Wisconsin. So go Badgers. Badgers, yeah, yeah, all right. Oh, wow, a little quiet. Okay, all right, maybe, all right. Uh, so we met playing music together there with the Navigators uh, College Ministry. And not only did I meet my wife in, during my time in Madison, I met Jesus during my time uh, in Madison. So I arrived in Madison in 2004 as a freshman at UW, and I really went there for two reasons. It was known for excellent academics and epic parties. That was basically, I wanted to party a whole lot. And uh, what I discovered was that uh, through the course of my freshman year, I just encountered the emptiness of the party scene, and God put within me a hunger, a desire for something more. And I began to study the scriptures in my dorm with a group of navigator guys and began attending a church in town. And through those experiences, just encountered the fullness of Jesus for the first time. And my life was radically changed through that experience. Uh, And so um, since then, really, both of our collegiate experiences, we've just always had a heart for college students. And not only for students, but we also lived in downtown Chicago for three years together, four years in my case. And we were involved at a, a larger church there right in downtown Chicago. I ended up being a pastor there for a bit. I mean, literally, I like, look out my office window and the skyline um, was there. And so through that experience, also young professionals and kind of an urban environment really captured our hearts. And so our journey has kind of been like, all right, love of the local church, love of, love of college students, love of 
young professionals, love of church planting. Let's just put it all together. And so we are planting uh, in downtown Madison. Madison is basically home for us at this point. Her whole family is in Madison. So we've got grandma and grandpa by for uh, free babysitting and lots of help. Uh, they, they are jumping in with the church plant and enormously helpful. Uh, we currently have about 10 or 15 adults meeting on Sunday evenings in our home and we're beginning to look at worship spaces, and I'm trying to spend as much time as I can around lost people in Madison, which, as it turns out, lost people in Madison are pretty easy to find. So I'm trying to do that uh, as much as I can. So, um, yeah, thank you uh, to Pastor Craig for allowing us to be here. Uh, We are a part of the same network, the same denomination or movement of the gospel called Converge. I was a pastor with a Converge church previously, a college pastor, and so uh, we're, we're part of the same movement. And so uh, pa- Pastor Craig allowed me to come today and to share our vision with you and to invite you to partner with us and be gospel partners with us and allow you to participate if you'd like to in this ministry in Madison. So three things that I think of with this. Uh, first of all, um, if you would think about who do you know in Madison? Who do you, you? This room knows way more people in Madison than I do. So like, who do you know? If you could just point me to some people that you might know Uh, an email introduction goes a long way. That'd be awesome. We are looking for other people, whether they know Jesus or don't. We'd love to connect with them and just know other people. Second thing would be prayer. Madison is a challenging city to plant in, and we could use your prayers. Uh, And and you can have a sign-up sheet for, like, our prayer updates and newsletter list. And then lastly would be finances. We are still in the fundraising process. Uh, For those of you who are number gurus, I have a little bar chart uh, for you here. So... Yeah, number of people. Yes, I'm a number person. I like numbers. Uh, so the blue is what we've already raised. The gray is what we still need to raise. So you can see God's already done some amazing things in providing for us. Uh, we currently have raised $65,000 for our personal supports. So that's just like our salary and benefits, allowing us to focus full-time on this ministry. Converged denomination covers all of our startup costs. So children's ministry equipment, sound equipment, banners, they cover all of that. So that's done. Eventually, in 2019, we'll begin to rent a facility to worship in, and that is costly in downtown Madison. So eventually, we'll need to raise that money in 2019. But that's a little ways off yet. So currently, we have this $6,000 gap between $65,000 and $71,000. We have $6,000 to go to be fully funded as far as our salary and benefits. And so I want to come to you today and ask you, could this room even today maybe cover that $6,000 gap? Would you guys consider that? If, if 12 people in this room were to say, hey, I'm excited about a church plant in Madison, we would love to give a $500 one-time gift to support you. If, if 12 of you did that, our, we would be, full, be fully, fully funded. funded. Um, if six of you were willing to give a, a $1,000 gift, we'd be fully funded. So um, it, I just invite you to consider that. Um, on the way out today, uh, I'll be in the back. I have a little table set up. I have business cards. I have a sign-up sheet for our prayer list. Um, I have an envelope to take a check from you today if you want to do that. Um, I have information about how to give online or by check, all that. Uh, see us in the back. We'd love to stay connected with you. So excited that we're not alone in this, but part of the same movement with your church. So yeah, thanks for having us, guys. I just want to pray for this couple and their family. Like I said, uh, I've been a part of Converge Great Lakes for a while, and we've seen church plants, church plants in Madison. It's a really hard city. The gospel is very persecuted and oppressed. And I just, even by the way that God has provided for them already, I'm just thrilled to see what he'll do. But it's a hard work. It's a hard labor. And, and I want us to be part of that somehow. So great requests. 
not only if you know somebody, but I guess I'm guessing if they know somebody with like real estate and building, that they just will give it away. We think that's so crazy, but God owns it all. Amen. It can happen. So uh, why don't we stand together? I want to pray for this this family as they go out, and then we're going to sing together. Um, But I just want to pray that we get the gospel and we get what it is to go out into the world and do our part in that. Let's pray for the Duncans. Father in heaven, I, I praise you that you are the Lord of the harvest. And I praise you for Jesus' ministry on earth to come and share life and healing and hope, share himself, giving his very life for us, ransoming us. And Father, I'm thankful that we can trust in you, a God with unlimited strength and resource and power. And I, I thank you for people like the Duncans here, their entire family. It's not just Erica, Erica and Elisa, but their kids too. They're, they're kids who are being a part of this journey. They're grandparents that are involved. And thank you for them being willing to step out in faith into a hard city, a city that, as he said, they're, it's pretty easy to find people that don't know Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would move with them in power and strength, that you would supply all their needs, that this church in Lake Mills, who is a distance away, but I'm, I know many of us go to Madison, work in Madison, recreate in Madison, that, that we would have a heart with them for that city and partner with them. So God, would you provide generously? May we be a part of that. May we, Father, I'm I was praying this this morning that even if you challenged several of us to just pick up our lives and move to that city and be a part of this work, God, that we would get the gospel and care about it in that way and care about those lost people there to do something that radical. Father, show us how to help in this this new work and show us how to support and be prayerful and partner with them together. May you bless them. May they be guided towards your comfort and encouragement in moments of struggle and moments of doubt and moments where they have discouragement. Father, that we would be a part of bringing encouragement along with your spirit and aiding in what they need. And Father, I just thank you for their family. Uh, pray that you'd go before them as you, you have. And, and Father, this is your church. We, we just can rest easy in that, knowing that you're doing the work, that you're calling us to just be obedient and trust in you. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. I want to leave you with this from the book of Acts. Um, This is, remember, at Pentecost, Jesus is coming, and and he has risen, and and before his ascension, he comes back to the disciples. In Acts 1, 6, he says, it says, So when they had all come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you, this is what he's telling the disciples, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, which it has for us. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let us go and be witnesses to the good news of the gospel. Have a blessed day. Go in peace. You are sent. Amen.